the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Four. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The Answer. Yes, indeed. Hour number two underway now, nine minutes past 10 o'clock on this Thursday, the 16th morning of the fifth month of the year of our Lord, 2019. Thank you once again for joining us. You remember Harvey Weinstein, right? Hollywood mogul, massive uh, producer, responsible for so many hits. Career, reputation, and virtually everything else destroyed when it uh, came to light that he has been spending these uh, last few decades abusing and sexually harassing women trying to tell them if you want a job in my movie or in my production company you're going to have to uh, submit to my uh, strange perversions um bad guy he's in some serious legal jeopardy and according to some on the far left if you're in serious legal jeopardy you don't deserve to have an attorney you don't deserve legal representation that is essentially what is happening when a harvard university law professor who is still a practicing attorney actually took on harvey weinstein as a client and lost his job over it or at least a significant portion of it that is the backdrop of the story we're going to discuss now with our friend dr everett piper dr piper of course is the outgoing president uh, he is retiring from that position at oklahoma wesleyan university he is a best-selling author and he is a phenomenal uh, political pundit and i bet based on what i saw a little bit of on youtube a very well-regarded commencement speaker after he spoke last week up in idaho was it idaho dr piper yeah, it Doctor, was Idaho. It was New St. Andrews College in for Idaho. For some reason, I blanked and almost said Montana, I, I, but I'm glad I got it right. It was Idaho. <laughs> so how did the event go? Correct. It was great. Great college up there, very classical liberal arts institution. They actually require their students to be proficient in Latin before they graduate. Interesting. They hearken back to the days when a liberal arts education was actually an education in freedom and liberty and liberation and ideological, excuse me, confronting ideological fascism rather than succumbing to the snowflake rebellion of 
saying, I don't like your ideas, therefore I will never consider them, I won't listen to you, and if you actually are going to be a professor that espouses an idea that makes me feel uncomfortable, then I will do my best to get you fired from this institution. (laughs) New St. Andrews College in Idaho is the opposite of Harvard, ironically enough. Indeed, and that's. Uh, I want to let you tell that story in a little more depth and give us your thoughts on it, Doctor Piper. Doctor Piper, by the way, again, I mentioned he's a best-selling author. If you have not yet read, not yet read, not a daycare, the devastating consequences of abandoning truth by Doctor Piper, you don't know what you're missing. This is tremendous clarity for a lot of the things that we are talking about uh, in a very easy read. So make sure that you pick that up. All right, Doctor Piper, let's tell this story. I mean, I just gave a very little, uh, syn- uh, a small synopsis of this. Everybody knows who Harvey Weinstein is. They don't necessarily know who the Harvard professor is who uh, took up his case and what happened to him but as you pointed out on twitter which is why i wanted to bring you on to discuss this this is the result when you have college students who no longer even need to be indoctrinated at the college where you know collegiate level which is where so much of this is happening but because of public schools in america in this day and age they're arriving already as quote-unquote woke snowflakes who are not going to settle uh, for for listening to viewpoints with which they disagree. Why don't you take it from there? Well, the story is Harvard University professor, as you've pointed out, his name is Ronald Sullivan. He's agreed to be uh, to represent Harvey Weinstein in his legal defense. In other words, he is saying, and he's not, by anything, he's by uh, no stretch of the imagination, he, is he a conservative? This, this gentleman, this professor at Harvard is classically progressive in everything that he's done. He believes, however, in due process, he believes that everybody should have their defense in court, and therefore he's agreed to represent Weinstein. What has happened as a result of the students have had a fit, they've demanded that this man be uh, eliminated as the dean of one of their various different houses there at Harvard, and they've protested, they've pouted, they pranced, they've preened, and the institution has succumbed to their demands, and they've actually removed removed this gentleman from his position as dean of the house there at Harvard. So the moral of the story is this. Again, once again, if students feel uncomfortable, if they don't like an idea, if they don't like due process, if they don't like the protections that our Constitution guarantees us in the court of law, if Brett Kavanaugh is presumed guilty in his hearing for the Supreme Court, that's good enough. The presumption of guilt is going to carry the day rather than the presumption of innocence. And if you disagree with his political agenda, and he is uh, possibly going to confront you with ideas that have made you feel uncomfortable, you will pout, you will prance, you will preen, and you will demand that Brett Kavanaugh not be um, confirmed. Likewise, if Harvey Weinstein and nobody's defending Harvey Weinstein's actions. What they are defending, this, uh, this attorney, what, they, what he is defending is his right for a fair trial. That's it, but not in the minds of these students and not in the minds of the leadership of Harvard. This is where education has taken us, and it's no surprise, no surprise, because we've been teaching self-absorption and narcissism for decades, then why in the world would we not be surprised when Harvard succumbs to self-absorbed narcissistic students who are pouting and demanding that they feel comfortable rather than be challenged in their education at Harvard? So essentially, Dr. Piper, you know, when you pointed out the school you just spoke at uh, at their commencement address, and I think we could look at your university, Oklahoma Wesleyan, as well, as being the polar opposites of what Harvard is. Harvard is quite literally Harvard is running a daycare. 
Quite literally, they are saying your feelings, young ones, are more important than the law, more important than uh, a man's right to representation, uh, the, uh, the, a man's right to a fair trial, to be presumed innocent until guilty, etc. It's proven guilty, etc., etc. They are they are literally telling these kids, "We don't want your feelings to be hurt. We will run this like a daycare." It's uh, it's strangely strange as it sounds. Well, one of the points I've made in my commencement address, both up in Idaho as well as the commencement address I just gave at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, is very simple and very clear. I say this. Today, as you graduate, I'm not going to hand you a diploma in opinions. I'm not going to have you walk across the stage, and I'm not going to pat you on the back and say, congratulations, you majored in opinions. That would be absurd. If all you've got is an opinion as the result of going to a university for four years, then you wasted your money. And here's more. An opinion is always dangerous. An opinion is always dangerous. Opinions lead to bondage and slavery and oppression. Pol Pot and Mao and Robespierre and Chavez and Hitler and Mussolini and all the despots of history had opinions, and it didn't end very well. And then I told my students, both at Idaho and at Oklahoma Wesleyan, today you are going to graduate because you know something. You know some facts over and above what you did when you started four years earlier. Today you've learned something about the truth over and above what you knew when you came in as a freshman. That's what your education is about. I don't care what your opinions are. I don't care what your feelings are. We're actually giving you a degree in truth. We're giving you a degree because you have absorbed some facts. That's what an education is for. And without that, you're ignoring the words of Christ where he said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Not your opinions, not your feelings. This is a terrible education to kowtow to somebody's feelings rather than to confront them with the facts of what's true and right and just and real. Very, very well articulated, Dr. Piper. We're going to take our time out here, uh, our midpoint of our conversation, Doctor. And on the other side, I want to get your thoughts. As a man of faith, obviously, um, on what is going on down in Alabama, what has been then, what has already gone on in Georgia, here in my state of Ohio, I think Louisiana is next, Missouri on the table as well. Um, pro-life is fighting, and pro-life causes are winning uh, at the state level. This is ultimately going to end up in the Supreme Court, but I want to get your thoughts on the fight to stop the pro-life movement from actually protecting babies uh, that has been undertaken by so many on the left. I'll get your thoughts on that when we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Bob France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, it is 1021 as we continue on AM 1420. The answer, our guest, once again, Dr. Everett Piper, best-selling author of Not a Daycare. He's a columnist for the Washington Times. He's a public speaker as well. And uh, the uh, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. Dr. Piper, uh, real quick, because I always talk about your book. Um, I know you're uh, obviously you have a lot of other uh, interests going on right now as you move on to the next phase of your career. But is there uh, another book in your future? Yes, as a matter of fact, I've got the uh, copy due to uh, Regnery in Salem by August 31, and it will be titled Adulting. It'll be the sequel to Not a Daycare, whereas in Not a Daycare, I basically exposed the problem. We've been teaching these terrible ideas, and now we've got these pouting students. It's no surprise, garbage in, garbage out, ideas have consequences. Now, in adulting, I actually present some solutions. In other words, if you want to grow up and act like a mature human being, you might consider these ideas that will lead you in that direction rather than imbibing this, these silly 
self-absorbed feelings that you have, why don't you consider the wisdom of the ages? I like it. I'm glad I asked. I had no idea you were working on a sequel to that book or that you were working with Salem and Regnery. That is outstanding, and I'm looking to, going to look forward to that release in August. Or, oh, I'm sorry, you said the copy is due in August. When do you expect release of the book? Uh, I think they want to get it out in the political season, so I'm guessing in November, uh, you know, late late this year, early next year. So let's just say November. Very much looking forward to it. Thanks so much for the update on that. All right, Doctor, you saw what happened yesterday. Uh, late last night, uh, the governor of Alabama signed what is being described as the most restrictive abortion law in the country. This is on the heels of six six-week laws, or technically heartbeat detection laws, in my state and in Georgia. They're passing an eight-week law for no abortion. Abortions after eight weeks in Missouri. And again, there are a host of other uh, states that are kind of planning the same thing. This is obviously going to end up with a ton of lawsuits to stop these uh, laws from being enforced. And uh, ultimately, it's going to end up at the Supreme Court. Do you have a sense of optimism that the tide is turning? They are pushing back very hard, those in the abortion for profit industry uh, uh, against us and those of, you know, those others who are pro life. But do you feel that the tide is turning, that the mood of this country is ready to rid itself of the shame of Roe versus Wade? I've always, you know, in all my commentary, Bob, would rather be with you or other radio shows or TV or in writing, I'm an optimist at the end of the day. Now, I believe we've got a mess on our hands right now, and the mess is of our own making. In other words, we're experiencing the very hell that our hellish ideas have brought upon us. That's the story of human history. That's the story of Israel. That's the story of any country that steps away from God's clear, common-sense, natural law and revelation of Scripture. So yes, we're suffering accordingly, but at the end of the day, I believe we know the answer. Uh, We know the end of the story. We've read the book, and we know that the truth will set us free. So on the abortion debate, I think it's a clear example of we have maintained, meaning we, conservatives, those who believe in conserving God's time-tested truths, and one of those things is life and liberty and the liberty to live, okay? We believe that, we've fought for that, and we have now come to the point where we're confronting the left with its terrible, its terrible ontology and epistemology, and its argument that a beating heart is not evidence of a living human being. That's what we're rubbing their, we're rubbing their nose in that truth right now, and they don't know how to react. So yes, I do think that we're winning on that front. Movies like Gosnell, movies like Unplanned, this question of how can you defend terminating a child 30 seconds after it's born, Mr. Governor, because you don't think that it should have the right to live, that the mother and the doctor should provide for a comfortable death. That's infanticide, and we know that. And then you start backing that argument down where we are right now, how can you tell me that a beating human heart is not evidence of a living human being? They can't defend that, and that's why we're at the point of actually coming to the point of some common sense, hopefully some resolution that will be in place in law where it protects every human being, every human being, and gives them the liberty to live. Dr. Piper, I want to ask you about something that we wrestled with yesterday on this program, and this, of course, is the uh, the rape and incest components of these various bills or laws. Um, Alabama's mm-hmm. notably uh, omitted. In fact, there was a, a move to put, add an amendment to the law by, by someone in the state Senate uh, very shortly prior to the vote, which was struck down. Uh, so they passed it as a clean bill with no uh, exceptions for rape and incest. Um, 
it's hard. It's hard to tell, particularly, you know, young girls um, who who suffer rape uh, or suffer suffer incestual rape from their brothers, from their fathers, or from their uncles. Which, sadly, um, if you look at the criminal justice system, there, it happens so much more than people realize. How do we? How do we tell those individuals who become impregnated by an act of violence, those young girls especially, and I'm, I shouldn't qualify it just with ages, but it strikes me more with young girls, um, that they've been impregnated through an act of not their own irresponsibility, but by an act of violence and a crime committed against them, that they then have to go through the nine months of body changes, of, of, of trauma, of the trauma of childbirth that they had no plans for, that they are not ready for, they're, 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 they're young, uh, uh, girls, these sorts of things. How do we, how do we do that part? How do we how do we recognize that the child that is conceived in such a terrible manner is not to blame for this, but putting the other child who is the one carrying the unborn now through more trauma is something that they have to endure. How do we how do we do that? Well, I think there are a couple ways we need to respond to this. First, we need to ask the abortion advocates. All right, are you saying that the 1% of the, pre- of the abortions, um, the 1% of the pregnancies that result from incest and rape, are you suggesting that if we concede your point that you're willing to make all other abortions illegal? Now, they're not. So that's the first question we need to ask the Planned Parenthood and the abortion advocates. If we concede your point on incest and rape, which is only 1% of the problem, are you willing to grant us and to concede our point on the other 99%? That's a rhetorical question we need to ask, and that's a logical question we need to pursue. Now back to your question of Well, the, well no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. If I may, doctor, uh, if I may, you, you're right when you say they won't go for that, but let's suppose for a second that they did. Let's suppose they said, okay, deal. Are you ready to sign off on that? That then, then uh, pregnancies well, uh, involving gonna, rape and incest I'm can be terminated. My answer is going to make some of your uh, listeners a little uncomfortable. I am staunchly pro-life, but I think a lesson we need to learn from the progressive left is incrementalism. In other words, if I can save ninety-nine people out of a hundred, I am going to do so incrementally. Um, rather than saying, no, I can't save the one, so let the other 99 die also. In other words, incremental gain, I think, is a moral and a good strategy that we can employ. We can employ that. Now, that's not to say that I think the 1% is justified, but if that's all I can get, if I can only get the 99, then that is something that I think is a moral consideration to make. Okay. Now, let me get I back to the other... I think that's a fair answer. Let me give it... I know we're... we're I, I know we're short on time. Let me say this. This bill in Alabama does not make it illegal for the girl who's been raped to go get an abortion. She can do so for six weeks after the rape because the fetal heartbeat is not going to be known until that period of time. So she has a month. No, that's and a Georgia. Half. No, no, no. That's Georgia and Ohio. Alabama's does Alabama's is not a heartbeat law. Alabama's is a strict criminalization of the act of abortion by the doctor. The girl, the woman, the 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 pregnant woman or girl is not um, in in legal jeopardy. It is only the doctor. The doctor can be pr- imprisoned from ten to ninety nine years if they perform an abortion. You're thinking of Georgia and Ohio, in which they have the six week fetal heartbeat uh, heartbeat rules. Oh, forgive me. 
forgive me. That's if okay. I that's okay. That. But I wanted sorry, to get to, I, I wanted to get to the bottom of it all anyway. So yeah, you, doctor, you're right. Yeah. I mean, really, every state is handling this differently, and it really does get confusing. Um, and I don't know that one is any any better than the other. To be 100 percent honest with you, because they allow exceptions. But I'll let you finish your point. Go ahead, sir. Well, the point is, in these fetal heartbeat laws, which I may have been mistaken on the one that we're referring to right now, but in the fetal heartbeat law, you've got six weeks after the point of conception to make your decision to get an abortion. Now, again, that's a concession to incrementalism, because I still believe those abortions are wrong, but these laws that are based on fetal heartbeat actually concede to the point that you can get an abortion up to six weeks, and therefore it is not all that much of a problem, if you will, for those who have been raped, or guilt, or, or, or have been the victim of incest because they've got six weeks to go talk to a doctor, make a decision, and it's still legal in that fetal heartbeat situation to get an abortion. So the incremental strategy of the pro-life side is proven in in my point right there. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And 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 like I said before, you know, the, what they're doing in Alabama is a little different than what they did in Georgia, which is similar to what the, we did here in the state of Ohio. And I don't know what Louisiana and Missouri's are going to look like. They're also they're a third iteration of these things. I think uh, Missouri's is going to be eight weeks, but not tied to the fetal heartbeat. It's just going to be anything after eight weeks. So they're all doing it a little bit differently. Uh, and, but yet most of them still have that question about whether or not there should be an exception for rape or incest. And I just don't know how to answer that. I don't like the idea that the baby should be terminated under any circumstances, but I also understand those who say, you know, a victim has already been victimized once. They shouldn't have to relive that uh, that horrific crime that they suffered by going through this, you know, this entire pregnancy and uh, and, and and delivery. So uh, that's something that obviously everybody's going to have to continue to wrestle with. Dr. Everett Piper, uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan University, now former president uh, and also the best-selling author of Not a Daycare. Doctor, it's a pleasure as always. Thank you so much for your thoughts. I'll catch up with you again next week. All right, blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dr. Piper. All right, 1032. We'll get a time out now because we want to come on. We have another guest coming up. What's it mean to be a man? It means you're bad, you're evil. If you are masculine, that is toxic. You're hurting and killing our country, according to the left. I've got an author who's got a different opinion of that coming up now, uh, right after the news on AM 1420, The Answer. Sure. All right, 1038 as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. So we hear it all the time, right? It's your fault, it's my fault. If you're a guy, if you're a masculine member of the population, uh, you are to blame for just about everything that's gone wrong. Throughout history, it's been the patriarchy. It's, it's, it's toxic masculinity that has caused all of the problems, problems of discrimination, of bigotry, of race, of uh, dehumanization, of sexism, and so on and so forth. It's toxic masculinity that, that is the biggest problem in our society. We do talk about this on a fairly regular basis because almost every week there's somebody else writing something new, somebody on the political left writing something new to um, essentially tear down and destroy men. Well, our next guest uh, is kind of fighting back against the toxic masculinity idea he is the author of hard times create strong men why the world craves leadership and how you can step up to fill the need and i think that's a hell of a great idea uh stefan arneo is the author joining us now on am 1420 the answer mr arneo good to talk to you how are you sir thanks for having me on the show doing well today good to have you thanks very much let's before we talk about the um 
uh, you know, the, the book and the issues and, uh, and the solutions and what it means to step up and be a strong leader that the world really needs. Give me your, uh, why do you suppose, uh, Stefan, that men have, have come to bear the brunt of, of the blame for, for everything that is wrong, particularly in this country, but I suppose it, it expands to other cultures as world, uh, or as well, rather, other cultures around the world. Why do you think it is that we are suddenly the, uh, you know, the whipping boy? Well, I, I think it's easy to it's easy to blame men because I think men have been in power for a long time, and and you know you're talking about um, patriarchy. I remember when I was in university, my girlfriend was a, a staunch feminist, and she'd always blame everything on patriarchy. And I would just listen to her and shrug it off. And and now it's been about ten years since I've been in school, and I don't think I don't think there really is such a thing as patriarchy. I think it's really just regular dominance hierarchy of, of the human animal. We're just naturally organizing ourselves into into hierarchies of power, and there happens to be men at the top of a lot of things, because men, there's a lot of men out there who just simply work. They work 12 hours a day, and, uh, you know, a lot of women don't sign up for 12 or 18 hours a day of, of crazy work like that, and that's why men are in charge a lot of time, and if the man's in charge, it's easy to uh, it's easy to blame him for everything. Yeah, is a lot of that rooted in just plain old jealousy? Uh, I mean, is that is that what we're talking about here? Men have be, been the dominant, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, sex uh, and and have established cultures based on you know on male decisions and male. Uh, I, I don't I hate to use the word superiority because I know that's going to sound, but I mean physical superiority and so on and so forth. So is it just flat out, you know what, they have more power than we do? Uh, speaking of, of feminist women, they have more power than we do, and therefore we don't like that. It's just straight-up jealousy? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think a lot of it is, um, I, I think it is, it is a struggle for power, and when I do talk to feminists, often they're, they're not against the gender roles. They're mostly just not happy that they're on the feminine side of the table and wish that they're on the masculine side of the table. And I don't really know if, if that's um, really, really productive. I think the word that we want to use is results. I mean, a lot of men get results. You know, if you're, if you're in a burning building, do you want a little 95-pound woman coming to save you or do you want a big, strong man to come save you? Um, it really, I think it really comes down to results, and, and men get the results a lot of the times. And you're even seeing this right now with sports. You know, you're putting men in female sports, and the women are getting crushed. So, you know, if you just talk about results, I think that that's, that's a nice, clean way to look at it. And we're not judging anybody, but just look at the results. We're talking with Stefan Arneo, who is the author of Hard Times Create Strong Men While the World Craves Leadership and How You Can Step Up to Fill the Need. Now, you're Canadian, correct? That's right. I'm from Winnipeg. Do you see any kind of a difference in the views toward patriarchy that you just described or toxic masculinity on either side of our border? You know what? I think it's kind of the same, actually. In Canada, it might be a little worse. I, I, I joke, I say Canada is a communist country. But the way you guys are rolling down in the United States, you guys are looking pretty communist a lot of the time, too. So, <laughs> you know, that we do have... Uh, we we have this Western world that's been the best the best place to live for so long, and it was built on a Christian capitalist uh, philosophy with gender differences, where men were men and women were women, and now we're trading that for a communist, atheist, uh, gender neutral kind of philosophy, and it's completely backwards. 
from what made America great and what made Canada great. Uh, we're, we're going completely backwards almost into the way that communist Russia was in 1917. Well, that's uh, that's that's a strong statement. Uh, Stefan Arneo is our guest. Let's talk about what it means to be a modern man, because uh, uh, this is a lot of what your book studies and, and discusses. Uh, what does it mean to be a modern man in this world relative to money, sex, religion, politics? Well, the, the first thing that I wrote in the book is, uh, you know, I had these young men in my, in my office that were complaining to me. I run an office. I had eight employees at the time. Now I have 13. And these young men are saying, you're mean, I don't like you, I don't want to do this, this job isn't my dream. And these are 20-year-old guys, 22-year-old guys, and I would never expect young men to say this. And I had to sit these men down and have a how-to-be-a-man talk with them for six hours, and that's where the book came from. Is I, I was tired of giving the lecture, so I thought I would just write it down in a book. And the first, the first thing about being a man is a man's purpose is his work. And, you know, if a, if a man's doing well at his work, men respect him. And women also respect him, and that's really what a man's masculine purpose is. Hey, let's do our work, let's be good at that. Everything else comes from a man being able to do his work properly. So how do we do that, um, Stefan, without earning the enmity and the scorn of, uh, of, the, of the feminists. And it's not just feminists, by the way. It's beta males, in my opinion, too, who also speak to toxic masculinity. Because if we're just supposed to kind of, you know, keep our head down and do our work and, and do it to the best of our ability, and, and it, it causes us and allows us to earn positions of power, to earn promotions, whether it be management in a company or whatever the case might be, then we're, we're, we're accused of, of taking over and trying to enforce our will upon other people, particularly on women. Uh, so how do we do our jobs and do them well and, and, and expect to be paid well for those things without, without continuing to earn that brand of toxic masculinity? Well, I don't think toxic masculinity exists. I mean, if you look at, I think that that's a, it's a fable. If you look at, um, well, it's an excuse. Is what fathers. it is. Yeah, it, it, I agree. It, it's yeah, a fable. It's, it's an excuse that they use. It's a term they created to essentially uh, justify vilifying us. A hundred percent. And when you look at uh, homes without fathers, they they do much worse than homes with fathers. So I would say the absence of masculinity is toxic. And if you look at Homes of all fathers, the young boys, the young men usually turn into criminals who go to jail. And the young women, the young girls, turn into prostitutes or strippers. So, you know, I think that the absence of masculinity is what's toxic, not masculinity unto itself. You know, there has to be a masculine and feminine. There has to be a, a, a wife and a husband and a mom and a dad, and that's what creates balance. But we're so out of balance right now. We're so upside down and backwards that we can't even see it. Is it better? Everything you're saying, I think, is 100% spot on. Um, the lack of masculinity in a child's life leads to that child, uh, essentially. The statistically speaking, here in the United States, again, I don't know how much it changes for Canada, uh, but in the United States, that leads to extraordinarily higher numbers of children doing terrible things, either ending up in the uh, legal system, ending up in jail or prison, uh, ending up as drug addicts, ending up as high school dropouts or school dropouts, period. The lack of masculinity in the lives of kids is extremely important. And I would dare say the lack of masculinity in, in, in the way that we understand it, understand it, 
um, it would, would also be terrible for the work world, for the business world, for the construction world, for the manufacturers world, because quite, quite frankly, you know, when there are wars to fight, we're not saying obviously there aren't female soldiers and, and Marines and, and others who have, who have come on board, but historically speaking, when there's a war to fight, men go to fight it. When there is a skyscraper to be built, it is men that are on the top of that thing, uh, risking their lives and doing these things. There are things that masculinity is responsible for in this country and in this world. Again, look, you know, going right up to the other side of the border, um, there are things that men are responsible for that we should be saying thank you for masculinity. That's the reason we have the, all, all that we do. Well, and that's 100% true. You know, if you look at the stats, like, you know, the U.S. Navy SEALs, there's 2,500 men in the U.S. Navy SEALs. I don't think there's any women. Um, you know, they, the hell week that they put the men through is seven days of hell with four hours of sleep and you know, the, most men can't even get through there. That's 2,500 men out of a million U.S. Uh, armed military men. So this is the top quarter of a percent of, of individuals. And the women just, they don't make it. And, you know, if you look at basketball, you got LeBron James making $120 bucks. He's the best, you know, male basketball player. And the best female basketball player is making sixty or $70,000. And a stay-at-home mom is worth $80,000. So that lady should just be LeBron's wife and they'd be ahead. So when you look at the actual results, the results aren't very good, and, and real life doesn't have a girl's basketball with a lower a lower hoop and a smaller ball. It just doesn't exist in real life. Yeah, that's very, very true. Uh, and, uh, and and the idea, again, that they have kind of demonized masculinity rather than, than you know thanked it and appreciated it for what it brings and what it offers and what it assists those who need assistance with is uh, is really, really quite striking. Uh, but I guess that's the point of the book. Uh, it's called Hard Times Create Strong Men, Why the World Craves Leadership and How You Can Step Up to Fill the Need. And there is a need, as uh, Stefan just described. Stefan Arneo is the author. Stefan, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Best of luck with the book that's not your first right you've uh, you've been in this game a while that's my fifth book and if people want to read hard times they can get it hard strongmen.com that's hard strongmen.com love it great stuff uh, thanks very much Stefan. i re- wish you the very best thank you thank you you got it. Stefan Arneo, the author of Hard Times, uh, very, very uh, appropriate, I think, particularly for this stage of our uh, of our country. All right, it's 1049. We'll get a time out here. We'll come back and uh, wrap it up with an, a short segment, but it will be long enough to take a phone call or two. So if you wanted to get in, get in. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Back after this. WHKRadio.com is where to find the Bob France Authority podcast. Ten fifty three, as noted, final segment of the broadcast, but still an opportunity to take a call or two. But before I take a call or two, I want to take an opportunity to uh, share more information from ADF with you. This is my privilege to be in partnership with the Alliance Defending Freedom. Freedom That is ADF, and they are on the front lines fighting to protect the freedoms that I've discussed on this program several times today. Bob Trent will tell you more with this week's ADF Freedom Minute. The Washington state government is forcing churches to pay for abortion in their health care plans or face fines and criminal penalties, including jail time. Hi, I'm Bob Trent, and this is your Freedom Minute. 
Pastor Jay and Sandy of Cedar Park Church in Washington are dedicated to protecting the lives of the unborn, serving women, aiding pregnancy centers, and fostering a life-affirming community. But now the state of Washington is determined to keep Cedar Park from living out its pro-life mission by forcing the church to pay for abortion in its health care plan under threats of fines and even jail time. But thanks to your support, Alliance Defending Freedom is suing the government and asking Washington to allow it and other organizations to live out their pro-life mission. We can't sit by and watch as the government takes away our freedoms. When we stand together, we can win. Would you help us protect your freedoms? Visit yourfreedomfund.org. That's yourfreedomfund.org. Now you know exactly why we partner here at AM 1420, The Answer, with the Alliance Defending Freedom. They are fighting exactly for the things that we talk about on a daily basis. If you'd like to give to the Freedom Fund to help defend your freedom and all of ours and provide the resources needed to fight these critical court battles, please call 800-691-8969. Uh, that's 800-691-8969, or log on to the website that you just heard, freedomfund.org. It is that important. Um, Todd is calling us uh, from Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Todd, go right ahead. Yo, Bob. Yo, Todd. He was, he was correct. Toxic masculinity doesn't exist. I wish he would have elaborated a little bit more in that what, they're re- what the attempt is really is that's going on is that they're trying to keep the words together, toxic and masculinity, and then at some point get people to just throw off the toxic and bad behavior is just masculinity, which is, you know, there's this foul behavior, abusiveness, belittling, and things such as that that can be attributed to people that are men or women, So, but you don't hear toxic femin- femininity. And I wish you would elaborate on some more because this is based in misandry. And misandry is the intense distrust, dislike, or hatred of men. And this is what this is based in. I'm glad you brought the dude on. You know what's funny, um, Todd? Uh, you're 100% right, first of all. Um, do you know what percentage of the population probably has never heard the word misandry? But they all know the word misogyny. Everybody knows misogyny because women are victimized so much in the in the in the workplace and this and that and the other thing. Misogyny, misogyny, the distrust or the hate of women, hatred of women. Nobody knows misandry because there's no such thing. It's the same reason and, and, and I don't want to go too far with this, but in the world of, of race why uh, many who are in the minority status uh, say that they can't be racist because they have no power. They can't be racist. Black people, Hispanic people cannot be racist because the white people are in power and only people in power can be racist. So if only white people can be racist, it's the same kind of thing here. That's why there's no such thing as misandry in their minds because, you know what, you're men. You are in control of everything, so nobody can discriminate against you. There's nothing that you have to worry about. The word should be out there more so people understand it and, more importantly, recognize it when it's being put in application. I'll totally talk to you agree. Later, Bob. Totally agree. Right Thank you so much. I appreciate it, brother. Good stuff. Uh, he's right. You know, that's why, again, just take the connotation of race. There are black people, Latinos, or other minorities who are extraordinarily racist, who just despise people of other races, particularly if it is the white race, which is the majority race, and that doesn't count to them. Same thing here. There are women who are toxic feminists. You know, uh, their feminism is toxic. It is, it is, um, you know, it, it is a negative contribution to the culture to the society but they're saying no toxic is only masculinity why because there's more of them because more there are more men men are the majority therefore they're the only ones who have to wear uh that uh you know that that sign that's that scarlet letter if you will of being toxic todd thank you esther in cleveland next hi esther go ahead 
Oh, thanks. I was calling about liberty and truth, uh, particularly the 14th Amendment. First, something, an ironic uh, uh, bill, I think, it's going through Congress. You might talk with uh, Mr. Jordan about it. How is it uh, that an illegal alien can have a baby born and becomes a citizen, but a United States citizen has a baby born and perhaps somebody can decide to kill it? And then I think the constitutional right people are saying, well, you have a constitutional right to abortions, like that guy who was harassing a lady in Philadelphia, and people say we have a constitutional right to gay marriage. Well, there's nothing in the Constitution for abortion or gay marriage, but what there is is the states. The states can choose. You're, that's exactly right. Uh, I'm sorry, I thought I didn't realize you had finished your thought there, Esther. You're exactly right. The states can't choose, and that's what it's all about, and that's what's going to happen, of course, with this abortion situation. If we can get Roe Ro- Ro versus Wade overturned at the federal level, every state will be able to decide, and the people will be able to vote in legislators or governors who can either make abortion legal or not based on what their belief is in that state. Um, you know, and obviously we would hope that 50 for 50 would vote to protect life, but at least it would be a, uh, the state-by-state basis as it should be. That's where we have to end it. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. We'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 